Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Hat Collecting Talk Show. This uh, You're watching uh, the video portion on YouTube, or maybe you're listening to it in podcast form. Uh, it should be out on uh, Spotify and whatnot soon. I'm working on that. Um, to, uh, just to also let people know, uh, the platform that we're using here has some built-in audio processing, so it's given a bit of mixed results so far, as you've probably heard. I'm trying to get that straightened out so that you get uh, better consistent sound, but uh, with that all said, uh, I am happy to be joined today by Jade Pichette, who is an inclusion, diversity, and belonging professional based in Toronto or Tecoronto. Uh, they are manager of programs at Pride at Work Canada. Uh, Githia of Vindasir Kindred and a queer community activist. Um, for the podcast listeners, Jade's pronouns are they and them. Um, so, yes, thank you for joining me today, Jade. Thanks, Lacey. Um, yeah, so uh, as uh, you would know, the people that are kind of more regular watchers will know, we have a kind of a regular series of questions that we go through. And the first one that gets us started is uh, what are you currently up to? What are you currently working on? Uh, so I, I've been spending a lot of time on my, on my, uh, day job as a career, queer, pro homo, uh, transfer pay, whatever you want to say, um, uh, at Product Work Canada. So I've been focused mostly on working with, uh, employers around LGBTQ2 plus inclusion. And, um, as you might imagine, um, we just finished Pride season, um, because our Pride season starts with Winnipeg Pride at the end of May and goes until Calgary Pride, which is uh, the first weekend in September. So it was a very busy summer, even though we were all online. Um, but uh, now I'm working on creating our uh, 2021 um, program plan um, and uh, working on a few different projects um, at in connection with that. So for instance, even just earlier today, I was on two calls with two different uh, large employers here in Canada, one about creating their trans inclusion plan that they're gonna rant, roll out to all their offices and another about uh, they're, they're creating an employee resource group for LGBTQ2 plus employees so that they can further advocate internally uh, within their organization. We're looking for, for a bit of support on that. Um, so that's, that's kind of where a lot of my time is being spent right now is, is, is doing that. But uh, I certainly have a lot of other, other projects on the go. Yeah, absolutely. And um, since it was included in your, your bio, and I'm sure because like, I didn't know all these things, um, uh, this show is uh, ultimately geared towards learning and, and teaching the, the audience. So um, did you want to explain a little bit more about what the uh, Githia of Vindasir Kindred is? Yeah, so Githia is uh, roughly translates to priestess um, uh, uh, within Asatru, or or also people call it heathenry. Um, uh, so it is essentially the uh, pre-Christian beliefs of Northern Europe. Um, so we are polytheists. Uh, we believe in multiple gods. We're animists. We believe that there are uh, spirits in the land. We call them Lanvetir. 
Um, and uh, within that role, I'm responsible for, uh, you know, creating spaces and rituals for members of my community um, and occasionally get asked to do uh, uh, things for other people in other uh, communities, especially queer folks, because uh, certainly trying to find um, clergy members that are inclusive, let alone members of the community. Um, being queer and trans is pretty rare. Um, so having somebody who's going to affirm you. So for instance, last year I did a couple of weddings, um, one of which was explicitly based on my, uh, from my religious community, um, from a couple in Peterborough. And then um, there was a, a couple in London, Ontario, who I'm friends with, but um, are not necessarily, don't necessarily identify explicitly as members of my religious community, um, but still wanted me to do the ceremony for them. Um, so lately that's been um, definitely a bit different seeing as a lot of ceremonies just have not been happening um, because of COVID, but uh, I was recently helped organize um, a international heathen gathering where we had uh, 15 countries represented um, uh, including Canada, the US, Mexico, Costa Rica, uh, Brazil, uh, UK, Spain, Germany, um, Sweden, uh, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, somebody who was even from Japan uh, joined us um, and uh, Ukraine as well. Um, so, so certainly things are a bit different in terms of my Githya work or priestess work, um, but generally that isn't necessarily for pay, although sometimes for for a wedding or some type of ceremony like that, I will accept money. Um, but it's generally not. It's something I do because I, I love my community. I, I, I love um, uh, the tradition, um, you know, my my religion primarily. So, um, but uh, but yeah, so that that's what that looks like. Um, but it's definitely a bit different right now. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, and so I just, yeah, I just want to, again, for the podcast listeners, I'm trying to be more mindful of um, this COVID situation has us pretty much all of us kind of, you know, doing everything from home or most of my guests are at home when we record. So please do be a little bit more patient and forgiving of, uh, of ambient noise that uh, we don't have control over like sirens or, you know, things like that. Um, hopefully there won't be too many of those. I had that one time there was like helicopters and, and motorcycles and it's just like, where are all these coming from? <laughs> um, but yeah, so you did touch upon the, uh, the difference between or how things have kind of changed since COVID started. And that's something I've been starting to examine on the more recent episodes, um, specifically with the work that you do, I guess, uh, you can look more at maybe the pride at work stuff. Um, how has that changed, uh, since the pandemic happened? It, it's it's changed radically. I mean, none of us uh, with the Private Work Canada team were really expecting to, to go the direction that we went, um, obviously, because uh, we weren't expecting to, to have to cancel in-person events because we had events planned in 11 different cities across mm. the country. Um, and so those in-person events would usually be attended by either myself uh, our, my executive director, Colin Druin, or our program assistant for Quebec, uh, Florence Gagnon, um, uh, who's in Montreal. And, and usually it would be one of the three of us, but mostly Colin or myself. Um, and so normally 
I would be traveling a lot. <laughs> I'm, I, this is the longest I've spent in the same city um, since I don't remember when. I think I think I was a teenager the last time I spent this much time in in the same city. It's it's a very weird experience for me. Um, but we had to cancel, you know, all of those things, and uh, we went online. And so starting um, in mid March, uh, we decided that we would do an online event every week, um, and we did that for uh, uh, most of the summer. Um, and uh, for April and May, we actually opened up our programming to the public because we thought, you know, so many queer and trans folks uh, especially lost their jobs under COVID. Um, and we actually have stats that say that, you know, queer and trans folks are more likely to have lost their jobs during COVID in Canada than um, people who are not part of the community. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that, which um, I won't go into all of which right now, but, um, as a result, we wanted to provide space for some people. And there were some people who came back and said, like, this is the one thing that I'm looking forward to every week, which, you know, when you're doing like programs on employment and corporate workplaces, <laughs> isn't what you expect to hear, right? Like my background in, is in social work. So I'm used to hearing that from like, you know, in-person programs, support groups, like counseling uh, programs, things like that, but not from a, you know, corporate inclusion perspective. And yet it was filling the space for some people, which I'm grateful for. Um, so we, we decided instead of doing in particular, our, um, 11 pro pride events, um, in different cities, we do five big ones online. And so we did five big, uh, uh, virtual pro pride events around uh, five different topics. So um, queer and trans uh, women leading the way, um, two-spirit inclusion in the workplace, um, uh, LGBTQ inclusion in the skilled trades, because the skilled trades is not exactly the most inclusive industry, um, uh, queering the future of work, um, and one in French on uh, Gen Z uh, being queer and trans on the job and looking at, at uh, queer and trans youth and, and bringing in um, uh, young LGBTQ talent and what that experience is like for them. Um, and so we decided instead, you know, let's get some punchy big name speakers. And it actually allowed us to do some things that we weren't able to do if we were just doing in-person events, including, you know, connecting with people who are in smaller municipalities, who are, you know, in cities that normally we don't work in. Um, like, I got to talk to people from from uh, the Northwest Territories this, this year, which, like, normally I haven't gotten to work with anybody up there. Um, you know, we, we heard more from people in, in different parts of the country than, than we normally do. So, um, it's, it's certainly been a weird time, um, but, uh, mostly good one. Now that we've hit September, we're kind of more back to our regular programming schedule-ish, uh, but with, uh, everything still being online, of course. So, um, so not a thing every week, but, but not that far off. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna actually ask cause, um, obviously a lot of plans changed and, and, but, uh, I do know that there have been some positives that have come out of, uh, changed plans from the pandemic. Uh, like this very show was, uh, 
kind of reconceived from its original uh, intended form, and I think it was for the best. So uh, I was kind of curious with uh, with your work. Uh, can you think of any specific ways in which um, having to kind of pivot on the fly unexpectedly has resulted in some great results that may not have otherwise happened? Yeah, so I mean, we definitely ended up hearing from some people and being able to get some people to be some of our speakers um, that normally we wouldn't be able to uh, uh, get, uh, for instance. So I think of, um, uh, for instance, uh, Jarrett Lehman, um, uh, who uh, runs the, oh, okay. Don't get me wrong this moment. Uh, the uh, Trun Technologies and the Center for Indigenous Innovation and Technology. Um, normally with his work schedule, he's never able to really come to our things, but we were actually able to get him in. Um, we're also starting to make uh, more inroads with politicians um, um, as well. And we've had politicians at some of our previous events. So for instance, last year, um, for Victoria Pro Pride, we had actually the mayor of Victoria, who's who uh, Mayor Lisa Helps, who's an out uh, member of the community, um, on our panel. Um, but we we're able to get some other folks this year that normally we wouldn't be able to 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 get. And and also we started to um, hear from some folks. It, it's a very weird experience when an, when an MPP calls you. Um, and not not as like a fundraising call or a, like a political call of, of actually they just they've taken notice of the work that we're doing um, and awesome. wanted and wanted to get involved. So it's uh, you know some of those pieces has been really neat in terms of being able to get speakers and and also make sure that whatever panel that we do is intersectional, right? Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes it's harder, especially as I'm somebody who's working in Takaranto or Toronto um, within the Dish with One Spoon territory, I may not know a lot of speakers in certain parts of the country um, who are marginalized in different ways. You know, like I know a lot of queer folks of color who are amazing speakers here in Toronto and in some of the other major cities that I might not know in, in smaller towns. And it's not to say that those speakers don't exist. It's just, I haven't had the experience to, to get to know them and I'm always looking for, for new potential speakers. Um, but it's really allowed us to make sure that no matter what we're doing, we're able to have it be intersectional um, around a number of different areas, including race, indigeneity, disability, um, and uh, more. Um, which when you're working only in one community um, and looking for speakers only from that community um, is sometimes harder to do. Um, so that's, that's also been a kind of a, a neat um, piece. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, so you kind of touched upon something there that I, I did want to try to start incorporating into the show. Um, I know a lot of my guests so far have been a fellow, not all of them are actually natively from Toronto, but um, uh, I'm looking forward to talking to other guests from different parts of uh, the continent or even the world and um, to talk about uh, oops, that's the wrong one. <laughs> there we go. Um, I'm first time I'm testing uh, for the for the podcast listeners. I've put up a, a banner on the screen uh, that says land acknowledgement. And this is something that I just looked into and learned more about myself uh, this year for the first time. Um, 
because I had heard about it, it started to become a much more regular thing, especially at queer events and uh, LGBTQ plus uh, two-spirit events, uh, inclusive events, I should just say. Um, and it's something that uh, a friend of mine posted a video on uh, Instagram at one point and just said, uh, this isn't something that you should just go and like, you know, print off the internet and just read verbatim. It's something you should actually go and, and research yourself so that you yeah. understand it. And if someone asks you, you could actually answer them as opposed to, oh, hold on, let me go find the note. Um, so yeah, I wanted to just kind of acknowledge, I, I don't know if you're uh, native to Toronto. Um, uh, so I was born and raised on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe Algonquin people, um, also today known as Ottawa. Um, and uh, that's originally where I'm from, where I got my, my start um, in terms of LGBTQ inclusion work uh, was, was back in Ottawa in, in 2003, 2004. Um, and uh, in that, I try to recognize that, you know, I am of mostly white settler descent. Um, and, uh, you know, I see myself as an uninvited visitor to the dish with one spoon territory, um, uh, being Toronto or Takaranto, um, uh, which is traditionally home of the um, Anishinaabe, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee uh, uh, and uh, the Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nation. Um, and that there's ongoing relationships. And also Toronto is, is home to the largest Indigenous community in Canada, which a lot of people don't realize. There, you know, there are a lot of Indigenous folks here in Toronto um, from across Turtle Island. Um, but I do see myself as an uninvited visitor on this territory. And um, I hope um, and, you know, Indigenous people can correct me if I'm wrong, that in the work that I do, that I you know, provide enough space for Indigenous people to, to tell their own stories and to um, address the fact that we're still living in a uh, colonial space. Um, and we need to be doing work on that, especially those of us who are um, uninvited visitors to this territory. Um, uh, so especially those of us who are white. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Now, like I was saying, uh, I started to learn about this this year and in Canada this year when there was uh, kind of on Twitter, it's like this this kind of war between the like all the people celebrating and all the people being like, this is basically Canada Canadian Genocide Day. Um, and so I spent the better part of July 1st, 2020 researching and I ended up making a video, which is also on my YouTube channel that I talk about the, the history that I learned about, which you just covered uh, parts of. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, definitely, I agree, it's very important. And that's like I said, I wanted to start talking to my guests and see if they do know. And, and if not, maybe we can just look it up and say, okay, well, now we can learn about the different uh, uh, Indigenous communities that are in these different areas. And uh, you can go to native-land.ca, which shows a, a world map that's got uh, quite a bit on it. So um, that's a good place to start for sure. Yeah, it's a good starting place. It isn't somewhere that I think people should end. There have mm -hmm. been some critiques of, of that site um, that are, I think are legitimate. Um, but it is it can be a good start for a lot of people. Um, I think one of the main things um, that's important when we do land acknowledgements is making sure that, you know, we're not talking about Indigenous people as if they're people of the past, mm -hmm. um, because I think that is something that a lot of people do. 
um, and I see happen. And, uh, you know, uh, as I noted, like today, Toronto's to home to Indigenous people from across Turtle Island. And, um, you know, as somebody of mostly French Canadian descent, you know, I, I certainly have my own uh, historical connections um, and, and ancestry that is important to me. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's one for me to also, you know, recognize that I don't have current, you know, cultural connections um, other than the communities that I've gotten to be, you know, a guest at their ceremonies, um, which I am always grateful for. Um, and so for anybody who doesn't know um, where those land acknowledgements actually come from, it's actually uh, one of the recommendations of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in regards to indi uh, the um, Indian residential school system um, uh, uh, here in Canada. And, and that um, is just one of many recommendations um, uh, that are there. And I, I highly recommend people read the recommendations. Some of them are directed entirely towards government, but then there's others that are more um, widely applicable, like land acknowledgements. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm uh, glad that we got to uh, cover that. And um, it sort of feels a bit awkward now to move into an unrelated topic, but I'm not quite okay. sure where to, where to put that <laughs> that makes the most sense. Um, but yeah, so the next question, our kind of regular series of questioning here is, uh, when you were a child, do you remember what you wanted to be or to do when you grew up? Um, I wanted to either be an archaeologist or a paleontologist. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, this, the, the study of things that came before has always been really interesting to me. Um, I don't know why I didn't like consider going into history because I never did, <laughs> even though I loved, I love history. Like I'm a history wonk um, by far, um, especially uh, my niches being queer and trans history, uh, maybe not surprisingly. Um, and my last job was actually at uh, what's now just known as the archives, which is uh, the second largest LGBTQ archives in the world. Um, second only to the one archives in um, in California. Um, so so definitely in my last job, I actually got to pursue some of that uh, like love and energy in regards to history. But um, it, uh, you know, digging things up from the ground seemed like a, a great way to go. Um, but it's not the way I went. I, I ended up uh, moving away from that um, pretty early on. Um, but it was definitely where I wanted to go. Um, even if I didn't go that route. No, that's so good. So it sounds like you still are kind of, I guess not necessarily studying like dinosaur bones, but you're kind of, you're still studying cultures, you're still learning. So it, you're still doing something related. So um, yeah, just because the reason I sort of asked that question is because I'm curious uh, how, how often uh, the guest like kind of wanted, like was interested in something early on and actually ended up doing that. Um, whether the interest ended up changing or whether it was just circumstances kind of ended up steering them away and just that's kind of how it happened. Yeah, no, the, I mean, the love of dinosaurs kind of went by the wayside for me, um, but I, I've always been fascinated by culture. I've always been fascinated by history. I've always been fascinated by power relations within that. Um, I actually, I, I wound up with a social work degree, but I started in political science for that reason, because I, I find those interactions being one of the most in, in interesting things. 
Um, and being, you know, now in inclusion and uh, inclusion, diversity and belonging um, uh, uh, education or, or DEI, the uh, diversity, uh, equity, inclusion uh, field, um, it's still power relations at the end of the day. <laughs> and it's still analyzing um, people at the end of the day, um, but uh, in a slightly different way. I mean, I, I have a fascination with with ancient history as well, and that's that's uh, less applicable to my current current work. But um, uh, if you want to ask me stories about uh, old Norse history or or queer and trans more contemporary history, I have plenty of stories of both. <laughs> I, I might just have to ask you about the Norse stuff on the bonus episode because I'm intrigued by that. <laughs> Um, yeah, but uh, we are going to keep going through here. Um, uh, so the next question, uh, this one's a bit of a kind of, the, I, don't, I don't know the age of all my guests, but I've kinda, I think I'm going to formulate the question uh, this way now. Uh, so at the age of 30, whether you've already passed it or whether it's coming up, um, like where were you in relation to your goals uh, or your uh, like kind of aspirations or where do you think you'll be if you're not there yet? <laughs> Well, that is very kind to, to <laughs> say if, if I haven't reached it yet. Um, but uh, uh, at, at 30 was kind of a, a changing point for me in many ways. Um, I was uh, at the archives uh, still at the time, though I knew that wasn't going to continue long, long term um, because of some uh, changes that were going on. Um, I... <laughs> I, my, my goals in life have, have constantly been changing. I kind of got to the point where I was like, I need a master's and I'll get my master's and then I'll figure out the rest of my life. And I did that um, in my, in my um, 20s, um, early to mid 20s. And then I got past that and kind of went, well, we'll see where my life goes from here. <laughs> and, and um, you know, I've, I've not... I don't know where I want to go next. You know, I don't actually have those those types of uh, life goals as much anymore, other than you know consistent progress in my life. So I don't really have something necessarily to compare it to because, you know, I had accomplished the main things that I want. But at the end of the day, what I care about is community, um, is is uh, love. Like I'm a romantic um, uh, with in a very happy relationship with uh, my partner and, and we're um, polyamorous. Um, and um, yeah, so I think in many ways, you know, I've reached those goals. And then some of my other goals are things that require complete societal change. So <laughs> I don't know where we're going to get with that one. Um, and uh, definitely wasn't wasn't there in uh, uh, when I hit 30. So because um, we... Uh, we're not as inclusive a society as I would like. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, again, just to kind of, I feel like for each episode, there's certain things I need to reiterate, although the regular viewers are probably going to get sick of hearing them. But uh, kind of the point of that question is because like I, as part of this whole thing of like, you know, what we wanted to do, what we're actually doing, how we got there, how we're trying to get there. And there's this uh, prevailing cultural narrative about like you're supposed to have everything figured out by the time you're 30. So that's why I'm asking people. Uh, and I guess if 
if you if you can maybe and I'm trying to find like the right ways to kind of to frame it and have follow-ups and so um, if you were to give advice to someone who's maybe uh, and like say they're maybe teens might be a little bit early but I mean even still like just what advice would you give to someone who's uh, hasn't hit 30 yet and feels like they they're just lost and and they're not really sure what to do I, I think everybody has those moments of being lost and it, it doesn't necessarily track with age, you know, like I, I think sometimes it's, it's easier to get lost when we're younger because we haven't had as many experiences to base things off of. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I think intergenerational um, friendships are really important is, you know, get friends who are seniors who, you know, are members of the same community as you or, or, even not members of the same community in whatever way that is, whether that's, you know, locality or um, identity or, or whatever that is. Um, and, you know, really listen to their stories. And, and the, the, the prevailing narrative is none of us know what we're doing. <laughs> we like to think sometimes. <laughs> and the people who tell you they know what they're doing, I, I, I don't trust those people. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'm of the opinion that we're all all figuring things out, right? Like, um, you know, I'm in my 30s now and I, I've just figured out some of my own neurodiversity stuff, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, which like I went through all of my 20s knowing that I was somewhat weird um, for sure, but not knowing why. And now only in my like, thirties, am I actually being able to process those things and figure those things out? But on other aspects, I had things figured out when I was a teenager that other people that I know who are in their thirties now are only figuring out now. Right. So like my, my, my gender identity, my sexual orientation, things like that, where those things came to me really quickly and easily. Um, but other parts of me didn't. And I think we all have parts of ourselves that don't come as quickly and easily for us. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you're like 15, 22, 30, or 60, you know, we all have learning to do. It's all about our openness um, and our willingness to strive to look at those pieces of ourselves, right? And to also say that we don't know. Um, yeah, I think that's a, a really great point. And that's kind of why I'm starting to ask this question of, of all my guests. And I do also want to say uh, for both the uh, video, uh, the the YouTube audience and the podcast audience that um, so far I've had mostly people kind of around my age and younger. And I do absolutely intend to have guests on in the future who are older, whether it's, you know, 40, 50, 60, maybe even older, because I want to get the different perspectives and really see how those experiences and insights kind of uh, compare to each other. Um, but yeah, you also touched on the next thing on our list, handy enough. Um, you brought up kind of the, the issue of like neurodiversity. And we like to talk about mental health on this show, because it's something that I think that most people do deal with. And it's, it's starting to get talked about a lot more, but I think it's still... Um, I think that's something that doesn't get talked about as much as it should. And it doesn't, it's usually cast in a much more negative light. And so, um, yeah, if you are open to it, um, talk about any, any, uh, any mental health, uh, struggles or, uh, things like that, that you've experienced and how you worked through them. For sure. So, I, I mean, there's only so much detail I'll, I'll give about some of these pieces, but, 
Um, but yeah, I've been, I've struggled with anxiety and depression since I was very young. Um, and, uh, those have, you know, impacted in, in, um, you know, suicidal behaviors and, and actions and, and, you know, I've, I've had quite a few rough patches in my life. I'm doing pretty well now, um, considering, um, but, you know, I haven't always been here. Um, and that's not to say that I'm doing great anyway, because it's still a global pandemic. And if you're doing well right now, I think there's something perhaps more abnormal about that at the moment than if you're not doing well right now. Like if you're not doing well right now, I think that's perfectly understandable, right? Um, and so in terms of my own life, like that has been part of my narrative, part of my story. Um, and uh it's 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 only kind of now that like I understand myself better that I also understand where I was in those moments, um, but a lot of those moments have also been impacted by external factors, right? Like if you don't have a stable home, it's understandable you ha have you know some challenges with your mental health. Like if you are experiencing discrimination on a daily basis, like it's understandable that you have issues with your mental health. Um, if you don't have a supportive network of people around you all the time, it's understandable to have issues with your mental health. And so I, I've had those moments throughout my life in, in different ways. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, as you might imagine coming out as a trans person and to everybody back in the early 2000s was not easy. <laughs> <laughs> especially when you're public about it and you're putting yourself in a public activist uh, stage. I've experienced a lot of death threats over my life. Um, uh, and I'm glad that I hear many trans people who have not had those experiences these days, which I'm very grateful for actually, because um, I don't want to see that repeated for other people, but I know people go through that too. Um, and I think the most important thing through all of that is being vulnerable and you know vulnerability is a strength and it's something that i don't think i entirely understood for a good chunk of my life um and if i had maybe my mental health would have been better because i would have been vulnerable with the right people i would have gotten the support that i needed um and you know i used to do um, youth mental health, mental illness, outreach. Um, and one of the things that we would say is that, you know, everybody has, has a mental health, like that's, it's just part of your overall health. And, you know, each of us might, some of us might have mental illnesses, but those that can come and go, right? So there's some people who have a mental illness, which it's impacting your life all, all like throughout your entire life. But if you've managed to get the medications that you need, the therapies that you need, the support you need, you know, all of those types of things, you can still be mentally well. Um, and uh, so I don't think anybody should have any shame about when they're not having, being well. Um, and I think, you know, people need to be a bit more vulnerable and look for a bit more support. Um, and that's what's done well for me. Yeah, and that's uh, something that came up on a previous episode as well, was the kind of issue because of the stigma, a lot of people uh, put off getting help that they need. And um, oh, there was something else I was going to say, and then there was a car honk and I lost it. Um, 
Yeah, for the for the people watching, uh, you can see a little name plates at the bottom of the screen, and I hope it's not too distracting that I, I mute myself a lot because I never know, and I said my microphone's very sensitive, so I'm I'm trying to minimize the background noise to to continue rolling things on. Um, I'm not sure, like I've been trying to keep these episodes to roughly kind of a thirty to forty five minute range, but my my feeling is if the content is good, if the discussion's good, then then it can it can go a bit longer. So um, the next thing we're getting into a little bit lighter subject matter now. Um, so again, things that, that kind of play into how we function and how we thrive in the world. And uh, so a uh, new question that I'm going to add in, we've talked, it's come up before, but I'm officially asking it now is, um, are you, uh, do you consider yourself an introvert, an extrovert, an ambivert? Um, so I used to call myself an introvert, um, uh, despite the fact that I have a very outgoing life. Um, but I don't know that I subscribe to those terms anymore, um, really. Because um, especially with understanding my neurodiversity a bit more, it kind of nullifies some of that understanding of like why I was getting emotionally drained by interacting with people. Um, Cause really that's what introversion is about is that you gain that energy um, in more private spaces or by yourself um, versus extroversion where you gain that energy from being around people. Um, and it really depends, right? Like it depends on who those people are, how many people are around, whether like the, the space is supportive or, or not. And so all of those things come into factor when it comes to, you know, my emotional energy and how much energy that I have to, to, to give in a day, you know? So like um, some days I, I'm, you know, very, very active, um, but I always need a role. <laughs> if I have a role, that's why I do well in work uh, situations because I have a role, I know what I need to do, I go to execute it, all of those things, doesn't matter if there's a bunch of people around, you know, I can speak in front of 100 people, and it's not an issue. You give me a social party with 12 people that I, I haven't, I don't, I don't know everybody super, super closely and intimately, I'm going to be anxious, I'm going to find that space draining. Um, so it really, uh, for me, those terms are holding less weight than they used to because of understanding my neurodiversity and understanding um, what brings me energy and what doesn't bring me energy it has less to do with with um, the amount of people and more to do with uh, the types of people, the space, and things of that nature. Yeah, um, I definitely... Uh, uh, relate to your experience. I know that I am uh, naturally more introverted, but I call myself a social introvert. I do enjoy talking to people, but I can only do so much of it. Um, and this kind of also plays into you kind of mentioned like energy levels. And so that's something else that I like to ask about is, do you think you have like a peak time of day, whether it's like morning, night, or just kind of somewhere, whenever? <laughs> um, so this is actually a question that was brought up to me uh, recently where I was only given the options of being an early bird or a night owl. And then I said, I am neither of those. How are you going to fit me in? <laughs> um, and we, and actually they changed a question as a result of that. Um, I'm, I, I don't like binaries. Um, I find I tend to be the most productive between like 
10 a.m. to like 6 p.m. That that's generally the time frame that works really well for me. Um, before that is usually too early for me, and I'm I'm struggling. Um, and after that, it's not that I'm necessarily struggling. It's that like I've already expended so much energy doing whatever I've been doing in that day that usually by that time I'm I'm, I'm exhausted. Um, especially as somebody with uh, uh, chronic illness, chronic pain. Um, usually by, by that point in the day, I'm in pain, I need to lie down, um, uh, I don't have as much energy. And so um, the closest I would say would be a midday person <laughs> um, is really kind of the, the, the truth. So. Yeah, well, that's that's why, like, I, I think I did start asking these questions as binaries, and I've kind of realized, like, they're, like, nothing, like, well, a lot of these things aren't, like, strict one or the others. There, there can be in between, like, social introverts or loner extroverts. Um, and so, yeah, like, I want people to be honest, and if they don't feel they fit uh, well into either and they're just something else, then that's, that's totally valid. And, um, I think more people should hear about that so that they don't feel like they have to be one or the other. Um, cause again, like it's, it's kind of visibility and representation, although maybe not so important when it comes to, you know, introversion, extroversion, but, um, yeah, so that's, uh, kind of the the end of the formal questioning and we're at a pretty good time here so i guess we'll we'll do our uh our plug uh, yeah i should say um we'll do your plugs because mine come at the end as like a graphic so um where can people find you online and find the work that you do and, and contact you if they want to do so um so they can certainly find me through pride at work canada um being jade.pichette at prideatwork.ca. If you go to prideatwork.ca, you'll be able to find my email. Um, I also do independent consulting, which um, if people were trying to find me independently as a, a diversity inclusion consultant or, or um, spiritual care consultant type of thing, um, they would go through my consulting website at www.jadepichette.com, uh, all one word, or consulting at jadepichette.com. Um, I also um, am on LinkedIn uh, quite regularly. It's very weird, I have to say, <laughs> that that I now have a job where I'm an active LinkedIn user. I feel weird about myself. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know how to deal with that yet. I, I, I will someday come to terms with the fact that I am one of those people. Um, and uh, also I am on Twitter, but uh, not, not the most active on Twitter. You'll find me suddenly at a conference tweeting a lot and then between conferences, uh, not, not so much. Um, and especially as we have no in-person conferences right now, just not so much in general. Um, but yeah, those are the main places that people can find me, um, in terms of my, um, uh, uh, Githya stuff that is ten tends to be things that are mostly more private. Um, but if somebody did want to reach out to me, they could reach out through my consulting email for that. Okay, great. Yeah, I will definitely be putting, uh, it's good that you say it out loud for the podcast listeners, for the, the people watching the video, uh, that'll be up on the screen. Um, so I do that for, and it'll be in the description below. Um, so yeah, um, now we can do, uh, we can do our goodbye with, with the hats, which is a fun little tradition that started here so far. Everybody has, has, um, agreed to uh partake and yeah i uh <laughs> doesn't quite fit either with my hair i know, you know can never the do them with the, um, with 
the uh, the headphones on, which is uh, actually it's supposed to be like this. Yeah, see, <laughs> <laughs> it's like we we. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say like I normally like to take the headphones off and put them on properly, but that's kind of funny. So um, we can just we can just stick with this. So um, thank you for. Uh, oh yes, I, it's it'll be it'll it will have been on the screen, but I got to remember to say it for the podcast listeners. Um, you can find out more about this show uh, if you go to hatcollecting.com. Uh, that's the official website, and uh, I'm trying to say there'll be lots of links and information in the description and. Uh, um, yeah, uh, for the bonus episode, which we'll be doing next, uh, that goes out on my Patreon and, um, I still have to look into the coffee thing, kofi.com slash Artemis creates, but I'm going to try to put some stuff there too, if I can. So yeah, if you want to see more of us and, and hear more from Jade and, uh, talk about, uh, I guess the, the North, North Norse mythology and, uh, anything else that uh, they want to geek out about. Um, you can head over to Patreon and uh, look forward to seeing you there. So thank you for watching. And uh, we are now waving goodbye with our, our black hats. <laughs> <laughs>